wonderful. It is such a blessing to have everyone here for Father's Day as we celebrate God's blessing of fatherhood. And as we do so today, I want us to do a couple of different things that will still be a part of uh, uh, this series that we've been started, that actually I started last week. Uh, first of all, the impact of a godly father can be immeasurable. The absence of a godly father can be incredibly devastating. I'm sure that all of you have heard statistics about those who are in prison, uh, those who are incarcerated today, and how many of them grew up in homes where the father was not present. But nowadays, many outside of the prison system are also growing up without fathers. It seems rare today to have a father who is present and regularly investing in his family. I cannot overemphasize the value of a faithful, godly father in the home. In fact, the scriptures speak clearly of this, and I want to share a few scriptures with you that support that this morning. The first comes from the book of Ephesians in chapter 6, and it's a familiar verse that probably most of us have heard somewhere along the way. Ephesians 6, 4, the apostle Paul writes this, Fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath or to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction or the admonition of the Lord. Within this verse, we see two primary points. The first is about not provoking your children to wrath or to anger. But what does that actually mean? For some, it may have to deal with the way a father handles himself around his children. I don't know that this has anything to do with us harassing our kids every once in a while for the sake of humor. In fact, I kind of enjoy the opportunity that I occasionally get to embarrass my children. I figure it builds character. Now, they may become regulars on the Dr. Phil show later in life, but it is a blessing sometimes just to be able to laugh with our kids. Actually, I also know that my love for them is very strong, and they do too because they've seen it. And at the same time, I know that their love for me is very strong. Of course, the only one who comes and excitedly greets me at the door is my dog, but that's a separate issue. Of course, the bigger issue here is in regard to the environment you bring to your home. It's about being an agent of love and not just an agent of discipline. So are you critical? Are you violent? Are you selfish? Are you hypocritical in your home? Do you call them to be something that you are not? Do you demand excellence from them while displaying mediocrity in your own life? Do you put other people ahead of your family as children? These are things that make us angry. They provoke children to wrath. And as fathers, these are things that can destroy our relationship with our children. But I think there's an even bigger issue in play here. One of the greatest examples of provoking our children to wrath is found in absentee fathers. In our culture, divorce has become so common that it's a surprise when divorce does not happen. And most often, the mother ends up with custody. That can make it rather difficult for fathers to be present in the home. In other cases, a father is physically present, but he is emotionally absent from the home. 
The father is busy with work or play. But either way, he still neglects his family at home. This causes incredible bitterness to begin to develop. It provokes children to wrath. So what should the relationship between the father and his children look like? The second half of this verse answers that question. This is where I will spend the majority of my time this morning. It says that he is to bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Well, what does that mean? The first thing that I see is a word that has become almost a dirty word in our society. Discipline. This word can have two separate meanings. The first is the one that we most commonly associate with discipline. It is a punishment inflicted by way of correction. And certainly, this is actually encouraged within the scriptures. We may not like it, but actually, if you remember, the scriptures tell us, spare the rod, spoil the child. Now, it's not to say that uh, you need to go take out a rod and whip your kids today. But this is to say that children actually need discipline. They need someone to show them what is right and teach them how to live in a way that would truly be good. No doubt this kind of discipline is lacking throughout much of our society. And much of that is why we see our culture moving in the direction that it is. Because discipline in that manner is no longer present in the home. But there's another type of discipline which more accurately fits what is being said in this passage. Another form of discipline, according to the dictionary, is a regimen or routine that develops excellence. For example, an athlete will be disciplined in his or her exercise routine so that they will continually improve in their skill. In other words, excellence doesn't happen by accident. It happens because you faithfully put the work into it. As a father, your greatest responsibility is to point your children to Jesus Christ. And the greatest tool that you have for that is the way you live your life in front of them. When Paul says to bring them up in the discipline of the Lord, he is referring to the intentional, faithful practice of daily Christian living. That means that dads have a responsibility to not merely tell our kids what to do, but rather to show them what to do. It's not enough to send our kids to church. It's not enough for us to tell our kids, these are the boundaries, don't go across it. They should see it in you. I want to challenge you to do some things today. First, while it is great that you probably already pray for your kids, and I hope that everyone in this room does that, I want to challenge you to begin to pray with your kids. Show them how a godly father prays. Let them see your passion. Let them see what is most important to you. Let them see that this is not just something you do in a moment of crisis. It is simply a part of your life and it should be a part of theirs. Pray with your family. I challenge you to be faithful in church. 
You know, we all have other things that are on our plates, so many things going on in our lives. In fact, we, we can become so busy with things that we end up having to give up other things. Other things that, sure, they ought to be important to us, but for most of us, I think we understand that the things that are most important to us, we will make sure that they get done. Remember, as a youth pastor, I shared this recently in a Bible study. Remember, as a youth pastor, um, I had a group of kids that, man, I'll tell you what, nobody was ever on time to anything. I blamed it on being in North Carolina. It's just a part of the way of life, except we decided we were going to Carowinds one day. I told everybody they need to be at the church at 7 o'clock. We were pulling out at exactly 7 o'clock. If you showed up at 7.01, you were not going. You want to know how many of them showed up on time? All of them. All of them. Because it was important and they wanted to make sure that they were there. We were in a, a, an area that was economically struggling. There were times we'd do events and people would tell me, well, you know, I don't think we're going to be able to go because it just costs too much money. You want to know how many of them were able to come up with, with enough money to go to Carowinds? All of them. Because the thing is, when it's a priority, you make sure it happens regardless of what else may be going on. Whatever happened to the church being a priority? If you really want your kids to value being an active part of the church, then you need to lead by example. I kind of laugh when I hear people say that church attendance doesn't matter. They'll say that you don't have to go to church to be a Christian. You know, I'm a golfer. Did you guys know that? Some of y'all might have known it. Some of you may not have. I really enjoy playing, but the truth is, I stink. I'm not very good at all. Now, there was a time that I was actually a pretty good golfer. I got to where I could shoot pretty consistently in the low 80s. I'd even be in the 70s occasionally. I played with my father-in-law twice in my life, and both times I shot in the 70s. I decided I'd never play with him again. I want him to think I'm a stud on the golf course. Part of the reason why I got to where I was halfway decent on the golf course was because at that point in my life, I was going out at least once or twice a week. Well, you know what? Today, I played about a month and a half ago. That was the first time I played in probably about six months. You see, the thing is, I can still call myself a golfer, but if I really want to be excellent, if I really want to be good, I can't just show up every once in a while and say, here I am, I'm ready to knock it out of the park. You see, excellence doesn't come from a once in a while thing. It comes from making it a priority. I'm going to tell you that as a part of the body of Christ, we must be individuals who are faithfully pursuing Christ, and I think that ought to involve being a part of the body of Christ. If you want your kids to make church a priority in their lives, it needs to be one in your life as well. Finally, I challenge you to allow the scripture to become a part of your family routine. I love the way Jenny just described that a few moments ago. It wasn't as if dad sat there and gave a theological lesson every night, but it just became a part of the conversation. It was a part of the life of the family. The scripture itself ought to become a part of who you are and a part of every relationship that you engage in. It ought to become a part of your routine. Maybe it's just reading a single verse 
around the table. Maybe it's family, a family deciding to memorize a certain verse or a certain passage. Uh, she referenced Micah 6.8 as a church. Micah 6.8 is kind of our theme verse. What does the Lord require of you? to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Maybe for your family, it's to identify a single verse that will actually stand out as sort of your foundation for everything else. Maybe for you, it's just talking to your kids about what you've been reading in the Bible. But again, the issue is that the kids need to see that this is faithful discipline in your life. This is something that is a priority to you. The other thing that is addressed in this verse is not just discipline, but the instruction of the Lord. Know that your words matter. Consider the words of Proverbs 4, verse 3 through 5. It's actually a testimony passage as Solomon is telling his story. He says this, For I too was a son to my father still tender and cherished by my mother. Then he taught me, and he said to me, Take hold of my words with all your heart. Keep my commands, and you will live. Get wisdom, get understanding. Do not forget my words or turn away from them. I find it interesting that later in life, Solomon would be offered anything he desired. And the thing that he would ask for is wisdom. Well, where did that thought originate? According to that passage, he got it from his father's teaching. David told him to seek wisdom. His father, King David, knew the importance of pointing his children to God. So he taught him. He instructed him. And he warned him to never turn away from the truth. I told you a few minutes ago, the most important task that you will ever have is to point your children to Jesus Christ. So what are you teaching them with your words? I hope all of your children become incredibly successful, incredibly intelligent, incredibly wealthy. I hope that they are the people that other people look at and think, wow. I want to be like him. I want to be like her. But the thing that your children need most is Jesus Christ. So what are you teaching them with your words? Proverbs 22.6 shares some encouraging words. It says that if you train up a child in the way he should go, even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, this is a proverb. It is not an absolute statement. In other words, this is the most likely scenario. If you train them to seek Christ, if you train them to pursue God above all else, there is a greater likelihood that they will continue to do so the rest of their lives. Again, it is a proverb, not an absolute. But the point is that there is a much greater chance of your kids seeking Christ if you are the one who is pointing the way. I'm so alarmed when I talk to parents who, they say, well, you know, I really want my kids to decide what they believe. 
And the truth is, I want my kids to be able to decide, but I want to be the one steering the ship. I have the responsibility as a dad to point my children to Jesus Christ. I don't want it to just be dad's faith. I want it to someday become their faith. I want it to become a point where they themselves recognize that Jesus Christ is my God, my Redeemer, my Savior. But I don't want it to be because they randomly figured it out on their own. I want it to be because they saw it in me and they learned it from me. So I challenge you to make sure that your words, the things you teach, the things you instruct in your home, truly will reflect that desire. I have one more testimony that I want to have shared with you today. I've asked Jason to share with the church this morning. Some of you may not know Jason because he attends the second service normally, but he's going to share today from a completely different perspective. Jenny talked about a godly father and his influence upon her. Now I want you to hear how fatherhood and this responsibility to God and to our children has impacted Jason's life. Jason, would you come and share with us? So outside of my salvation, uh, my marriage with my beautiful queen, you wanted me to talk about my children in five minutes. So I did what I could, poor Mike. Um, I have one point and 27 parts. So I'll try to get through it in five minutes. Of course, how I talk about my kids will probably determine the quality of restaurant or food I eat today uh, for Father's Day. So... My story about being a father is pretty simple. I was just a young man living to be a rock star. Uh, the problem was I was focused just on me. And even my music suffered at one point because I gave up everything to start living for myself to try to feel contentment as I could find it daily. But I often say that God has the greatest sense of humor. So he took this selfish young man and he said, I, I'm going to make him a father or at least give him the opportunity. And as I think through that, as Mike called me this week and he, he said, you know, I want you to talk about being a father. At first it was real simple, I'm a dad, and then I started thinking about it and the journey that I've, I've been on and how incredible it is and what God has done in each step uh, growing me. But I often come up with the question of why me? Uh, I have no idea. I'm nothing special. I haven't done anything that's benefited anyone. In some cases, I've caused more pain and harm. But I realize that God's grace trumps all, and that his will is specific to my, my, my journey with him and my relationship with him. So my purpose is, in being a dad is that God introduced three precious souls to my life. My oldest, London, who I call the game changer, because at that point I realized that I am a father. And all of a sudden, emotions that I had never felt before, thoughts I had never thought before, God started pouring into my heart. Uh, Jade and my son is my reflection of my image. So don't, don't be too cruel to him. He did get it honestly. And Ireland, my miracle princess. 
All stories would take me a lifetime to tell in each one. But I wish I could tell you that I was fully ready to be a father, but I can't. Now, we all know that being male, one of our genetic faults is that um, when we put something together, once we have exhausted all resources and all thought on how to put it together and failed miserably, we do what? We read the instructions. Okay. So I figured, being a dad, I don't need instructions. I'm just going to do what, what comes natural. And again, God tells great stories, and one is with my hair, because I tell my children that my hair was one color before they came, and now it's where it's at. Now I don't care what color it turns, just don't turn loose. <laughs> but to the point of, not be, of being prepared, I wasn't. Because never had I felt such intense joy and heartbroken sorrow. Joy for what they are in my life, what they bring to me. There's nothing more precious than the laughter of one of my children. I mean, that belly laugh, that deep, where they, they are just content and, and, and joy. That is incredible. But also the heartbreak of the world that we brought them into and what they'll face. Never have I been so emboldened and fearful at the same time. At peace and ease but daily ridden with anxiety. Feelings of being wise and discerning. And it's stupidly foolish all at the same time. But there are feelings that I fail daily. But I would trade any of it for anything. Because what God has taught me and what he's influenced me with is that he, had, he has given me the instructions, his holy word. And that all I have to do is in those times of doubt, anxiety, even in joy, and offering praise and thanksgiving, to turn back to his word. To see how he sees his children through how I see my children. For I love them. I find joy in their being a part of my life. There's nothing I wouldn't give up for. There's nothing more precious. And there's nothing that will stop my love for my children. There's nothing they can do, nothing they can say. They've tried. <laughs> and when they fail, feel lonely, or happy, facing difficulties in life, I'll always be there. In presence or in spirit to help. Just like our Father in heaven who loves us, gave up his throne. And when we call him Father, there's nothing that can take us out of his hand. I just ask that my children see Jesus working my life daily. To see how I face difficulties and turn to his word. To see how I fail and how I lay that at the feet of Jesus. Remembering that in Psalms 111, I'm paraphrasing the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. I cling to that verse because in Proverbs 14, 26, whoever fears the Lord has a secure fortress, and for their children it will be a refuge. I pray that they will have that secure fortress for them, for their children, for generations to come.
Thank you, Jason. I do want to close with one last thought this morning, and it's interesting to me that our key verse today comes from Paul, a man who never had physical children, certainly became a father to others who looked up to him. He referred to Timothy himself as his true son in the faith, but he never became a father. Yet here he is instructing us on fatherhood. That's because being a father is about more than having similar DNA. It is about investing in the lives of others. It is about helping others to develop into what God intended them to be. I'm going to tell you, if you are physically a father today, you have a great responsibility. I plead with you, take that responsibility seriously. If you do not have any children of your own, know that you have a great responsibility. There is a world of individuals who are looking at you, and they need to see what it is to be a child of God. Otherwise, they will not walk in that path. They need to hear it from you. If you're not a father in a physical sense, please realize that you can still make a difference the way a father does. You can still invest in others. You can still help them to become all that God would have them be. You can still love them and point them to Jesus Christ. My question is, are you doing that today? We celebrate Father's Day, but it also ought to be a day for us to be challenged. How can I be God's instrument to bring change in the lives of other people? Be grateful for your father, but perhaps you can be the one to influence others. I've told people this before. I did not have an earthly father who was engaged in my life. Uh, he was not a good influence. I consider it a blessing. He was not a part of my life, truthfully. But there were other people who came alongside me, and they showed me what it was to be a child of God, and they became a witness so that I could now walk in such a way that I honor God with my life. You be that influence for someone else. You say, I'm not even a guy. You still need to set that example. You need to live it out in front of them and you speak it. Teach them in the discipline and the direction and instruction of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, as we come before you today, Lord, our greatest desire is that you be honored in us. Our greatest desire is that perhaps somewhere down the road, our kids, our friends, our loved ones would see Christ in us so that somewhere down the road they might pursue you as well. Lord, I pray today for each individual who is here. I pray that you would work in our lives in such a way that the rest of the world would just be amazed at the influence that is possible. I pray for our children. I pray that you would blind them to the things that they shouldn't see, but help them to see so clearly the things that are of you. I pray that you would order their steps so that they would one day become the world changers they were created to be. Let it begin here in us, in our homes, in the way we talk, the way we act, in our faithfulness. Lord, I pray that you would be honored as we become your instruments of change in their lives. 
In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I do want to challenge you and encourage you. Make sure that you are the man or the woman of God that he created you to be. There are too many people watching. Celebrate your dad and you honor him by the way you live today. Thank you for being with us and go in peace.